Welcome to our uh, Glory of Intercession Conference. I'm just excited about this weekend. This is a time where we're just going to come and receive from the Lord. We're just going to connect to Jesus. And I, you know, I just, I'm just open to the Lord, for the Lord to just do anything this weekend. And so I just hope your heart is just positioned, you know, let's not put a time limit on God. Let's not, you know, have a certain set of expectations. I had a great dream last night and the Lord was doing marvelous things in my dream. And so I was at a conference and he was doing marvelous things. Maybe that's for this weekend. But I would encourage you, just, you know what, just set your your desire in God really high and then just throw away the box and just allow the Lord to do whatever he wants to do this weekend. You know, he might come like a, a thunder shower. He might come like a light spring rain. He might come like the former and the latter rains together. He might come like who knows what. But I, I, all I really care about is if God comes. And if the Lord comes, then it's well worth it to come and, and to gather for him. I, I love the opportunity to sort of kick things off. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer and set our heart before the Lord. Let's just believe God. I, I hadn't thought about my dream from last night. Really, I thought about this morning. I said, that was a good dream. Hadn't thought about it all day and just, it was just powerful. He was in, I, was, I was in a conference and it was a, a, a large setting actually. And he was encountering people left and right. And uh, it was good. So good. So let's just pray for a moment. Lord, even as I'm just thinking about that, that dream he gave me. How about tonight? How about tonight? How about a fresh wind to blow across our hearts tonight? How about an encounter from heaven? How about take us by surprise, Lord? Just just surprise us with your nearness and your goodness. So come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray, enlighten the eyes of our understanding. Draw us into the knowledge of you. Release revelation on your word. And confirm your word with signs following. We desire you, Jesus. We desire you. We desire to encounter you. We want you to be exalted over all. We want you to be exalted over all things. Preeminent. And as the Father is jealous to exalt your name, I say, Lord, even so tonight, exalt the name of Jesus. Lord, we give you thanks. We love you. Good. Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn with me in your Bible to 1 John chapter 3. I have about 10 things on my heart. I'm going to preach all 10 messages tonight. No, I'm just going to preach one of them. And I'll give you hints at the other nine, but I won't tell you when I'm doing them. Just little pieces here and there. But I just love people that would show up at a prayer conference. So automatically, I like you. Because... 
You show up at a Glory of Intercession conference, there's something very cool about you. And, uh, and so I, I, I feel very fond in my heart towards our little gathering this weekend. Um, so we named the conference the Glory of Intercession because it's a glory for all believers to enter into the ministry of intercession. Jesus Christ is forever making intercession. He's at the right hand of the Father. And he's called us to that same ministry. Every individual has a portion in the ministry of intercession. And what we tend to do is we say, well, that person's an intercessor and that person's not. And what we've done in the church a lot of times is left the intercession to the small group in the side room that are a little weird sometimes get a little loud sometimes or whatever. And we imagine that's just sort of the side ministry. But the truth about intercession is it is the glory for every believer to enter into partnership with the heart of the Lord by asking him to accomplish his will in the earth unto seeing kingdom purposes uh, released. That is our glory. And that's the calling for every believer. Every minister, every believer, no matter what your special focus is, all in the church are to be intercessors. That's true. That's why you don't see a special ministry calling of intercession. That's why when you see the the fivefold ministry, for instance, in Ephesians 4, you don't see intercessors in there. But when you see the armor of God in Ephesians 6, you see the, the part of the armor at the end of it, he says, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication for all the saints. That's for everybody. And so this ministry of prayer is actually for the entire church. It's all of our glory. Now some people get a, a hold of that. And they really are gifted at intercession. They just lock in. And, and I, am, I am for that team. I love that team. Some people haven't had their, their intercession awakened yet. And we need to see that throughout the church. They need to get their John the Baptist to jump. Amen. Corey, Corey Russell says, he says, whenever I get around you, you make my John the Baptist jump. Good. So hopefully tonight, I'll, I'll, I'll make your John the Baptist jump, so to speak. But uh, so since we're all called to this ministry, and it is our glory, one of the key things, uh, it, I mean, it's just one of the, the key, I'm really going 101 tonight. I, I want to just go 101, because I'm finding so much power in 101 Christianity right now. I'm, I'm finding so much life in it. And so one of the key things is how do we get confident in prayer? How do we get confident in prayer? And that's where I want to go. I want to talk about fearless confidence in prayer. Fearless confidence in prayer. If you've been doing prayer for more than a week, you have definitely experienced the challenge and the tension of praying and not actually seeing results. Anybody ever felt the, the pain of 
you're, you're praying, 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 but you're not actually seeing. Anybody ever seen that? People raise their head before I even asked. <clears throat> if you've been in prayer more than a week, you've felt that somewhere sometime. And so when answers are delayed or really delayed, it can shake our confidence when it comes to the ministry of prayer. It can do actually do a lot of challenging things to our hearts. Uh, at times I find that the prayer people are the most depressed, angry, kind of crotchety people around. And it's, it's because they are praying and maybe not seeing all the desires of the things that they're praying for come to pass. And um, there's an element to prayer where people pray for things. And, are, and as James said, you ask amiss. And therefore you don't receive the things you ask for because you're trying to spend it on your own lust. There's an element to that. But I think, I think more often than not... We imagine that God desires to answer prayer to establish his kingdom firstly and then his dealings with our own heart and how he leads us and causes us to grow is secondary. But I want to propose this to you. And this will be my premise that I go on the rest of the evening. I want to propose that God's worldview, as it relates to you in your life, is primarily about the conquest of your heart and not the conquest of nations. Now, he will conquer nations. He's definitely going to do that. He, the Haggai 2 says he'll overthrow the thrones of all nations. He's actually going to be king of kings and lord of lords over the entire earth. He is going to rule the whole globe for sure. But I want to propose that as it relates to you, the first thing on God's mind is the conquest of your heart. He wants to conquer you. And then he'll start conquering nations. And actually, he doesn't quite do it that, uh, he doesn't segment it that way. He doesn't partition it that way. God's not particularly compartmentalized in the way he works. He'll conquer the nations on the way to conquering you. But he's mostly concerned about conquering you. As it relates to you, God's worldview is firstly about your heart. And it's that way for every person in the room and every person on the planet. God's worldview for every individual is about the conquest of that heart. Now, he's the God that conquers hearts and conquers nations. He plays, I like to say, he plays chess on ten levels all at once. He moves the piece and ten different things are all in motion. But I want to tell you, prayer people, he's after you. You're trying to get him to be after someone else, and he's after you. He's after you. Now, he's after them too, but he's really after you. He's interested in them, but he's interested in you. And I can't think of a, a more brilliant way for God to slay us than for doing this. He says, ask me and I'll do it. 
we go, yeah, Lord, global thermonuclear revival, release it. Now, anytime, in the name of Jesus, you know, Jesus' name, ha, you know, and it, it doesn't, I mean, sometimes you say, Lord, release it now, and you're like, hey, this thing's loaded. But most of the time, it's now in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, in God's name, the most holy of all. You know, and, it's, and, and there's this thing where he told me if I ask in his name, he would do it, but it's not exactly on my timetable. He's brilliant. Because what he's done is he's, desi- he's, des- he's desired human hearts and designed his interaction in the earth <laughs> to all be wrapped up in this thing called prayer. Ask me and I'll do it. And so what it demands is for us to see anything happen of kingdom power on the earth, it's got to be wrought in prayer. And so therefore, anything... <laughs> That's of kingdom power that's wrought in the earth. We have actually got to interface with God. What he's done is he's set up an intimate encounter between us and him as the means for him to run his kingdom on the earth. Think about that for a minute. He could have done it anyway. He could have, there, there's a zillion ways he could have run things. He could have said, ask, snap your fingers three times and it's done. He could have said, Send a note to Santa Claus. I mean, there's all sorts of ways he could have designed to run his kingdom on the earth. Instead, he said, I want you to make it about you talking to me. And what does that say about God? If he sets up the method by which he runs everything. If he sets up the deal so that humans have to talk to him. What does that say about him? It says he wants to talk to humans. Specifically, he wants to talk to you. He wants to interface with you. And so he's so brilliant, he sets up the conversation. That's called prayer. And then at times... Well, all the time, the timetable for the answer is his and not ours. Every time. So he sets up the conversation, prayer is the mechanism, and then the timetable is his. It's out of our control. And that delay, because most of the time our timetable is way faster than his timetable. We want it now. Okay, not now. Okay, now. You know what I mean? Okay, I'll be patient now. We want it fast. And what he says is, actually, I know all the information. And so I will have it uh, manifest at the time that I desire, which will be the best time. Not your favorite time, but the best time. 
And there's something in between our favorite time and the best time called patience that enables our hearts to be sustained while the desire and the prayed for thing is on its way to manifestation but hasn't been manifest yet. Here's the thing, beloved. That thing in between our time and his time, that's where our Christianity grows. That's where it grows. I've never seen a child, think about this, I've never seen a child who has given everything they asked for instantly that wasn't a brat. If you've got them, introduce me. No child that's been given everything instantly matures. They, they don't learn the value of patience. I mean, there's all sorts of character flaws that are sewn in by giving a child everything they want instantaneously. So the Lord uses that patient time as a time to conquer you. He's after conquest, and you are in the bullseye. And you kind of go, well, why didn't he just conquer somebody else and give me what I want? Because you're really that important to him. He, he's actually that interested in you. He's, he's seriously, seriously interested in you. He wants you in the most intensive ways. He actually thinks it was worth seeing Jesus tortured at the hand of a demonized Roman government and then put to death so that he could have you. He's really after you, not part of you. Not a verbal commitment on a, you know, in a moment's notice or a Sunday service. He's not after the one day a week thing. He wants 100% of your heart. He wants you. Well, to do what? No, you. He just wants you. And I'm telling you, you are the issue of conquest. That's what he wants. He wants you. He wants your heart. And he uses prayer as a means to get your heart, yes, to get things done on the earth, but really to get your heart. Prayer is such a means to get your heart. So, I want to take us to this place where we can be fearlessly confident in prayer regardless of the speed of the answers. There's a great tension in prayer. There's a great tension in being an intercessor. And that tension is this. Keeping a posture where you're contending for a breakthrough and also being content and happy in God. And it's rare to find intercessors who actually are doing both. You know, one group, they get tired of contending and not seeing a breakthrough, so they just rest and they just go, I'm just going to meditate on the fact that he loves me. Amen. And they never, they never pray for breakthrough. The other group, they're always praying for breakthrough. <laughs> they don't even think God likes them anymore because <laughs> he's made them wait so long. <laughs> and it's just... You know, they don't even like the people they're praying for anymore. They're just, you know what I mean? They're just worn out, but they know they're supposed to pray. So they're just, ah, God, do something. Ah! You're like, hey, bro, 
Settle down. People are going to hell. You know, we got to pray. And there, I know that group well because I are one of those. I, I was one for a long time. And uh, what happens is they don't have any intimacy. They got a lot of zeal. They get burned out on zeal and mad that the answers haven't come. And they're distant from God. And really, it's kind of a weird relationship they have with God because uh, all they're ever asking for is revival. Give me revival. Give me souls. Give me revival. Give me souls. And there's no intimacy. It would be like me going in my house, never talking to my wife and going, give me babies. More babies. Widespread babies. It's embarrassing. But I know what that's like, intercessors, because you can get gripped with a burden and think that the burden is the issue. I promise you, the burden is important, but the issue is you. He's after you. He wants you. You're more important than the burden. So I want to bring us to this place of confidence in prayer. Confidence in prayer has a, it's it's amazing to me how it's so cleanly laid out in in, uh, 1 John. He lays out the pathway to confidence in prayer so neatly that uh, you would think we would all be just confident in God, confident in His love, confident in prayer, contending for breakthrough, and content in who He is. Persevering and patient because we see the pathway to confidence. But it's amazing to me, it's eluded me for quite some time. And it's only, I would say, in recent days, recent years, that I've started to enter into this place of confidence in prayer, even being a prayer guy for years, for years. I did lots of intercession for a long time. I, you know, we call it rock pile prayer. I didn't think it was, you know, real prayer unless you started sweating, lost your voice, and somebody fell out. If, if that didn't happen, you really, you didn't, nothing happened. It really wasn't a good prayer meeting. I like those prayer meetings still, but there's a much broader menu than just that. All right, that's all introduction. Let's go first, John. I think I touched four or five of the messages right there, so hey, we're in good shape. First John 3. Verse 21. Here we go. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Well, that's a, that's a great sentence. If your heart is uncondemned, Assured, you could say, you will be confident toward God. Now look at what happens when you're confident toward God. Verse 22. And, the idea is, and when you're confident toward God, whatever we ask, we receive from Him. 
Because, now this is interesting, is he about to put some kind of, uh, you know, couple things we got to do? Because he said, if we're uncondemned, we have confidence, and whatever we ask, we receive. But then he adds this little phrase in here. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I go, you know, I go, wait a minute. Now, now, I thought I could pray in faith and then, you know, you have whatsoever you pray for. When you ask in faith, believing you receive. What about that? What about Mark eleven twenty three and 24? I didn't know there was keeping the commandments. So now I've got, there's a list of do's and don'ts I've got to do just so I can get prayer answered. It's kind of like, darn, just made it a lot harder. And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Huh. What do I do with that? How do I, how do I navigate that? What, what are these commandments? How do, I, how, do I, how do I go about accomplishing these things? Well, look at verse 23. He's about to give us the commandments. And you'll recognize these. He's, he's restating them. But you'll recognize them as the first and second commandment. This is his commandment. Now, he's not talking about the ten. He's talking about Jesus' commandment. How Jesus summarized the law. This is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you look at this, believe on the the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That's trust in, rely upon. That that equates to loving Jesus. Love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he goes, here's how you can get confident in God. By keeping his commandments. and Doing those things that are pleasing. And what are the commandments? Love God and love each other. Oh. And that is what's pleasing to him. It's not another category. It's doing the commandments, the first and the second, are what is pleasing to him. And it's in that, in doing those, you find confidence before him. Now that's amazing to me. Because now the issue of confidence has to do with love. The issue of confidence isn't about how hard I can work and prove to God that I'm worthy to be loved. It's actually about loving. Loving Him. Now flip on over to 1 John 4, one page, and verse 16. I believe that John was writing his epistle here. And he was looking at his gospel. I believe he was looking at John 15 while he's writing 1 John 4. Because the language is so close. Same topics, same keywords, same issues. So I would put John 15 out there in your notes. Specifically verse 1 through 9. Go back and look at that with 1 John 4, 16. Through 21 staring at you. You'll be, it, it's amazing. He, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he had his epistle. I mean he had his gospel while he was writing his epistle. He had it sitting there. Maybe not. But it just the language is so close. 
All right, look at this. 1 John 4, verse 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. See, Jesus, he knew when he called us to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, he knew he was setting us up to find out how much he loved us. Because we cannot love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength out of our own ability. We have to know how much God loves us so that we can therefore then love back. We love because he first loved us. So the first commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, it presupposes that you comprehend the love of God for you. Now remember, he says you can have confidence by doing his commandments. The first commandment, love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But what presupposes, what's what's already in play before you can do either one of those is you've got to know how much he loves you. He's tricking you. I know you want global thermonuclear revival. He wants your heart. And not just ownership. He wants love. He wants love. He did not slaughter his son so he could have a bunch of robots. He sent Jesus to the cross for a family and He sent Jesus to the cross because he promised his son a bride. All right, let's work through this for a minute. 1 John 4, 16, look at it. Look at these words. I'm reading the New American Standard because I just like how it's put. It's put better in the New American Standard to me. They all mean the same. But the New American Standard sets it up in, in, a, in a much clearer way. John the Apostle, writing as one that's mature, look at it. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Can you agree with him? That's the key question you've got to ask yourself. Can you agree with that sentence? Can you put I in there? I have come to know and I have come to believe the love that God has for me. I'm not talking about the yes, Jesus loves me version. I knew the song when I was a kid and sang it in elementary, you know, uh, Sunday school. I'm talking about in the way that John means it. I have Come to know, and I have come to believe the love that God has for me. Because when he's writing 1 John 3, he's about to explain this issue of confidence in God. 
And in 1 John 4, he's unpacking the pathway to how you get confident in God and confident in prayer. And the issue is this. Coming to know and coming to believe the love that God has for you. I think that most believers cannot agree with that statement in actuality, in truth. I think most believers are on the way to. They are coming to know and coming to believe. Some are way further in their journey and some are at, you know, level one. But this, listen to me right now, this is the foundational truth to actually being able to engage in intercession, partnering with his heart, and see things established in the earth. Confidence before him that's birthed in knowing and believing his love for you. Without that, it is hit or miss, beloved. Because he didn't want a bunch of folks just yelling at him, yelling prayers, you know, give me some babies and whatever. He actually wanted intimacy. He actually wanted hearts. He actually wants love. Now, I, I remember looking at these verses in the past and reading that. We have come to know and come to believe. We have come to know and believe the love which God has for us. And just going, speak for yourself, John. Because if I was honest, I, I just say I, I, I haven't. I haven't believed it. And those two words, know and believe, they're in a tense. The way that the, they're structured, they're in a tense that says it's been a journey. We have come to know. We've come to believe. There's been a process. There's been a journey coming to the knowledge of his love. And there's been a journey coming to the, the belief in his love. You and I are on that journey. Now you got to be honest with yourself and God. Where are you on the journey? Because it means everything. It means everything. Where you are on the journey to know love. I'm, I'm coming to the place where I think confidence in love is the main problem. That people need to get solved and it will solve the, the vast majority of the rest of their problems. Interpersonal, emotional, all sorts of internal issues are solved by being confident in love. Come to know. That word know, it's called, it's a Greek word, gnosko. It's the term... That Mary used when she says, I have not known a man. So it speaks of intimate knowledge. It's actually experiential knowledge. Vine says that word know, it implies the idea of a relationship between the knower and the knowee. I have known them personally. And so John says, I have come to experience and understand love. 
Have you experienced love? Have you experienced God's love? To the place where you go, I know it. Have you? See, I, I, I think about my own journey. When I, when I preach on the love of God, I think about my own journey. See, I was in ministry for uh, nine years full time. Until I had my first, what I would just say, real encounter with the love of God. Now, I, I preached love, knew the verses, could quote them. But I did not believe it. And I remember coming in contact with the fact, these two truths, they, they messed me up. One, God loves me in my weakness. And two, though my love is immature, he says it's real. Those two truths undid me. I went, oh my goodness. I don't have to be perfect for God to love me. And though my love is small, he sees it as real. And when, when that hit me, I mean, I, I just, I lost, I just lost breath. I, I, I had no words. I, I couldn't, I couldn't function. And for three months, I walked around drunk on the love of God. I remember kissing this guy. Not on the lips. But I went up to this guy that was mad at me and I gave him a big hug and kissed him on the cheek. And I said, I love you. God loves you. And he looked at him, he goes, what happened to you? I go, he loves me. There's no more exhilarating experience that you can touch than actually being loved by the one who is love itself. Love is the greatest experience. God is the greatest lover. In fact, he's not just a great lover. He is love. Love isn't something he does. Love is something he is. Getting that encounter with the love of God. Oh, something happened. And I was. I was love drunk for three months. Not stumbling around. I'm talking giddy in my heart and alive. Maybe for the first time. But here's what I'll tell you. It's taken years since then. In continual encounters. With the love of God. Times where... I would experience or have revelation resting on my heart about his delight and desire for me and the love of God for me resting on me years of multiple times, multiple, multiple times till all the things that I'd sowed in and performance and, and, and you know, working for love and, and, and just, you know, self-hatred stuff to all that stuff began to just fall by the wayside and get peeled out. Multiple encounters in God's love until I can now begin to say, I'm coming to know and I believe I've come to know. Intimately experience the truth of his affections. He likes me a lot. He loves me. Where it just moves me. I mean, gasping for air moves me. And I can't just go with one more experience. I mean, I, I have to have multiple, continual saturations in this revelation of God's love for me. Because you know what? 
I am made for love. I'm made for it. I'm made to be moved by love, by God's affections, and so are you. We're all crafted by God to be loved. To flow back and forth in love with Him. It's the highest pinnacle of human existence. Flowing back and forth in intimate love with God. Real, personal, intimate love with God. The God. The uncreated God. The forever has been there God. The knows everything God. The all-powerful God loves you and me. That's what I'm made for. That's what I'm made for. I've come to know and believed. See, the believe is as a result of the come to know. Because once you experience and experience and experience and experience and you begin, to believe, you begin to know it because of experience, all of a sudden you go, I think I can believe this. I think I, think I actually, I think he likes me. Believe. The Greek word, pistuo. I don't know exactly, but that's about close. P-I-S-T-E-U-O. Pistuo. I know, awkward. So, it means rely on, trust in, believe. Convinced of. I have come to experience and understand. And I've come to be fully convinced of the love that God has for me. Can you say that? Beloved, this is our portion. That we could come to the place where we can say, I have come to experience and understand. And to fully rely on and be convinced of God's love for me. Because therein, (laughs) I'm telling you, it's the answer to To virtually everything. We've come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. We've come to experience and understand. Come to to be convinced of the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. Here's the key. If you abide in God, you will abide in love. If you abide in God's love, you will abide in God. Remember Jesus in John 15? He says, you're the branches, I'm the vine. Abide in me. Because without me, you can do nothing. And then he goes on in verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Why did he do that? Because if you abide in his love, you will abide in him. Abide, Greek word, meno, M-E-N-O. What does it mean? Stay and remain. Stay and remain. I know you want to conquer the nations. 
I'm telling you, God wants to conquer you. Because he will slay you with love. (laughs) He will capture you with love. He'll reduce you with love. He wants to conquer you with love until love is all that's left. Because you know why? Other things that motivate us are bad motivators compared to love. And you know what? The opposite of love is fear. It's a horrible motivator. But most believers are actually motivated more by fear than they are by confident love. They're afraid of this, this, and this, and this, and so they act in this, and this, and this way. Instead of confident in God's love, abiding in His love, believing and relying and trusting in His love, and that love does something to fear, destroys it. It's amazing when I started taking inventory of the motivators of my own heart and I realized that there was a lot of things I I was doing because I was afraid of certain things happening or certain consequences or certain things that would happen to me or others. I was afraid and therefore fear was motivating me instead of love, confidence in God's love, confidence in love. It's It's supposed to be the key motivator for us. Abide in love. If you abide in love, you abide in God. If you abide in God, you abide in love. Look at verse 17. This is the one that gets me. By this love is perfected so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. Verse 18, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. I've looked at verse 18 since I got saved. Everybody learns 1 John 4, 18. Perfect love casts out fear. Because every person's got fear. And so they go, okay, perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Why am I still afraid? Because <laughs> I'm quoting it, but dang! Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love, perfect love casts out fear. It's like, it's as if we'll just quote it a whole bunch, then it, we're going to get perfect love. So forever I'm going, how do you get perfect love? Because I need all the fear cast out of me. Anybody want to hang on to a little extra fear? Nobody wants fear? No joke. None of us want to be afraid. We want to be confident. So I need perfect love. Darn, how do I get perfect love? I just read it to you actually. It's actually right there in verse 17. He didn't throw perfect... I I don't know why I never saw this before. He didn't throw the idea of perfect love at us without telling us how to get it. Look at verse 17 again. By this love is perfected with us. Well, Well, by what? By verse 16. We've come to know and believe the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected in us. See, the point he's making is this. 
He goes, there's a process to encountering, understanding, unto believing, trusting, and fully relying on God's love. And let me tell you how it goes. God is love. And if you abide in God, you abide in love. And if you abide in love, you abide in God. And by that, abiding in love and abiding in God, that's how you get perfected love. Multiple encounters in God's love until the revelation strikes your soul, till you get to this place where you go, I believe it. What is perfected love? Love that you trust. Love that you can rely on. Love that's real, not just the theory. Love that's taken root in you that you actually believe. You actually believe it. The Father loves you. And you actually believe it. By this, love is perfected. I love it. So that what? We may have confidence in the day of judgment. Now, here's the thing. That seems a little bit out of place. Like, okay, perfect love and confidence in judgment. Huh? Now, what does he do? He takes you to the scariest possible thing ever. Being judged by God. That's scarier than anything. That's the most fearsome idea there is. There's not a more fearsome idea. The judgment of God is the most fearsome idea that exists under all creation. He goes, if you'll abide in God, you're going to abide in His love. If you'll abide in His love, you'll get perfected in love. Even to this level, you can be confident at the scariest possible thing. The judgment of God. Do you understand? He wants his family to actually come to the judgment and actually be confident. Because you know him. Imagine you had to go to court. There was a judge. The judge was known for being impartial. For handing out serious sentences. A lot of guys had gone to that judge and... Man, they got serious sentences. And you walk in the courtroom and you go, man, this judge, I heard he's serious. He does, he's impartial. He knows the truth every time. It's always just. He, I mean, he's, he, he lays down serious sentences on people. And you walk in the courtroom and you go, but he's my dad. He's my dad. Oh, this is going to go good. Confidence in love equals confidence in God. Confidence before God. Even in the judgment. People are scared of the end times. They're scared of the end of the age. Oh no, what's going to happen? Fall in love and don't be afraid. (laughs) Fall in love and you won't be afraid. Why? Because perfect love, it casts out all fear. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. They haven't come to believe. They haven't come to know and come to believe the love that God has for them. You know what the pathway is to confidence in God? Confidence in His love. You know what the pathway is to confidence in His love? Multiple encounters in love. Many, many, many. Until you believe it. That's why Jesus said, abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
We imagine that God goes, this is how we think God is. We imagine that God says, hey, I love you. And we go, yeah, okay, I believe it. He goes, no, I I only told you once, but that's it. If you didn't get it that time, that's it. No more. I already said it. You think he's the father that comes home and and says, I'm not telling you kids I love you because I said it that one time 10 years ago. No. He comes home, he swoops up his kids in his arm, and he kisses them, and he goes, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. They go, hey, daddy, say it again. He goes, I love you. And that's us. That's how he is with us. We go, God, encounter me with your love. Look, you can be, you can be greedy about knowing God's love. You don't have to think that God's sitting there going, I'm not going to tell you again because I already told you that. Like, you need to get it. I know you're a child, but get it. What would it be like if a father said that to a 10-year-old? What would that be like? That would be horrible. But we think God's like that. We think God told us once and we should have got the revelation. And if we don't know it by now, oh, man. No, he goes, look, I will tell you over and over and over. Abide there. Stay there. I don't mind telling you again and again and again. I love you. I love you. I love you. We go, oh, you do really go. He goes, yeah, I do. Could you say it again? He goes, absolutely. I love you. This is your pathway to perfection and love. It's your pathway to freedom from fear. It's your pathway to confidence in God. And it's your pathway to confidence in prayer. If our heart does not condemn us, we know we have what we've asked him for. Beloved, even if it's not on our timetable. See, because what happens is this. When the timetable gets delayed, we imagine God is withholding. We ascribe that to God. We go, oh, you're withholding from me. You don't love me. You're just holding back and you don't want to answer. And that's not him at all, beloved. Look. God's not withholding from you. He's not withholding from you. If the answer's delayed, it's because he's conquering your heart. He's got a better timing than your timing. He's good and all he does is good. And as it relates to you, he wants the conquest of your heart and he loves you. He's always after you. If he's delaying... It's for really good reasons. What happens to us is, you know, every intercessor knows the, the proverb, you know, the, uh, the hope deferred makes the heart sick. All the intercessors are like, yeah, the hope deferred, man, this makes my heart sick. My heart's just sick because the hope's been deferred. <laughs> you know, we're just like that. But when the desire's fulfilled, it's a tree of life. Beloved, you don't have to get heart sick, get love sick. Get, get inebriated in the fact that the Father loves you. The bridegroom loves you. And if the answer is delayed, it's for your good. Because he's formulating your heart. He's trying to get you to trust. We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. And see... When you've known and believed the love that God has for you, you can get confident in love. And then you go back to that 1 John 3 verse where it says, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. 
we have confidence toward God, we have whatever we've asked Him for. Look, I know you've gotten a lot of faith formulas and prayer formulas and all sorts of stuff. Let me give you one formula. Come to know and believe the love that God has for you. God is love. Whoever abides in God abides in love. Whoever abides in love abides in God. By this, love is perfected in us. I want perfect love. I want perfect love. I want to be so stable in my heart, whether the answer comes right now or in 10 years from now, I want to be so stabilized that he loves me. Because if I've got that, that's actually better than the answer to any prayer. That will sustain me while the lesser things work themselves out. I'm telling you, the revelation of his love for you will sustain you while the less important things work themselves out. And this is where we have to go. We've got to go to confidence and love. And so you can be jealous about love. You can be greedy for love. You can be desirous of love. But don't ever imagine he's withholding love because that's not him. That's not him. He's lavish with love. (laughs) One last verse. Ephesians 2. I know, I know you want the, you know, depths of the mysteries of the third heaven revelation of the intercessory anointing for cataclysmic kingdom release. I understand that. But God wants your heart. He doesn't care if you pray 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If your heart's not alive in love. He wants hearts. And as it relates to you, his kingdom worldview is there's one heart that's most important. Yours. Let me tell you how much he likes you. Ephesians 2. Verse 4. God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, he did a couple things. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ, and he raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might, (laughs) I love this, He might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He killed Jesus, raised you up from the dead, seated you in heavenly places. That's a whole other message. And verse 7, why would you do such a thing? He goes, because I want to be super nice to you forever. The riches of his grace and kindness. Because I've got something in mind. It's going to be fun for a long time. Me being nice to you. Could it be this good? Yeah, it's, it's actually way better than you think. His whole point is he likes you so much. He wants to be nice to you for a long time. He wants to show you the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness. Forever. 
we're going to go a billion years with God being nice to us. He's going to go, I can't wait to tomorrow. We're going to go, why? Because I get to be nice to you again. You have no idea what I've got planned. We're going to go, this is ridiculous. Ridiculously awesome. That's right. It's going to be so good, beloved. It starts now. I know. The flesh, your experiences, your soul, all those things have got to be transformed a bit so that you can come to know and believe the love that God has for you. But this is it. It's foundational to prayer. It's foundational to our relationship with God. It's foundational to everything in the kingdom. Perfection in love. How do you get there? Abiding in love. How do you abide? You stay there. What does that mean? Over and over and over again, ask him to tell you. How do I do it? John 15, 9, I reference that verse almost daily. I'll sit there with my eyes closed because it's one of the most clear verses. I go, okay. As the Father loves you, Jesus, you love me. You love me as the Father loves you. You love me as the Father loves you. You love me as the Father loves you. And I'll just meditate on it. And in 1 John, he tells us, he goes, now don't love only in word, but love in deed. Share that with somebody else. Let that thing continue to flow through you, flow into you and out of you, and go back and get it again. He goes, now abide there, stay there. As the Father loves you, you have loved me. You have loved me. Jesus loves us at the level the Father loves him. The same intensity, the same focus, the same passion. And then in John 17, he goes, oh, in case you just didn't really get that. He goes, and Father, let them know that you have loved them as you've loved me. Oh, Father, you love me as much as you love Jesus. And I I marinate on those verses daily, nearly, nearly daily, but multiple times every week. And you know what I found over about eight or ten years? All the performance, all the jacked up stuff in my soul, all the stuff that's kept me out of believing God's love for me. It's peeled off in a big, big way. The orphan mentality is gone. I'm starting to get real confident that daddy likes me. And you know what? Here's here's where it goes. When you're confident in love and fear doesn't have a hold on you, the devil can't do anything with you. If you're fearless, he is afraid of you. In fact, that's really the only kind of Christians that he's afraid of because as long as you fear, he can move you. But when you are perfected in love and you're fearless, he can't touch you. Because you're confident even before God. What about devils? Absolutely, my dad's got this. That's a dangerous Christian. Confident in love, so dangerous. No fear, so dangerous. Confident that we have what you ask him for. A praying church alive in love. I mean moving angels and demons without fear. Because they know the love of God. It's our portion, beloved. It's our portion. I, I know you want cataclysmic kingdom revelation. Let's start with confidence in love. Confidence in love. Make it your habit to meditate on love. Make it your habit to meditate on love. 
You'll operate in authority when your heart's confident before him. You'll operate in power. You'll be, you'll be, you'll be fearless. We need a deeper understanding of love. Good. Let's stand.